aiming for this future self that you aspire to be in the future, but it's really through the lens of finding that uniqueness that only you were put on earth to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And it's typically found in what amounts to a problem that you were meant to, to be the salvation for that only you have the unique capabilities to do. Welcome to The Pursuit. I'm your host, Ben Spangle. I'm excited to have you here today at our show. We're all about helping you in the pursuit of your best body, mind, spirit, and life. Thanks for being here. Hey, everybody. Ben here. I just wanted to come on really quickly and share with you something I created for you that I'm very excited about. You know, I'm a big fan of using our mind and the tools that we can use within it to begin to create our life, our ideal life, the way that we want to. There's many different things that we can do this. And I know that if you're listening to this, you're intuitively, you already believe that you have the power to be, do, and have whatever you want. You already believe intuitively that you can create your life by design. But often I find people, as much as they believe it, they keep kind of repeating programs of the past. They keep, you know, self-sabotaging at times, running into the same issues or or even having struggles of the same. So maybe, you know, continuing to struggle with money, uh, maybe continuing to struggle in relationships, continuing to struggle in creating the, the body and the health and fitness that we want, or whatever it might be, maybe your own personal happiness. So what I've done for you is I've created a, I think it's about five or six minutes, but a visualization that you can use, a guided visualization to help you achieve your goals. I know there's things that you want. I know there's things that you can have and you can be and you can do, And so I wanted to give you a tool that you can apply in your life to begin to create that in your life and create it in your mind so it begins to show in your outer reality. So if you go to benspangle.com forward slash gift and you can download that visualization for free, the guided visualization on achieving your goals. All right, let's get you back to the show. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome back. I've got John R. Miles with me today, and I'm so excited to introduce you to him. Uh, One of the things I love that you're going to get to hear lots about is this is an expert in personal mastery, which is a subject, of course, that I love. John's a leading authority on intentional behavior change, personal growth, and mattering, which is a subject we're going to talk about today. And uh, I know you're a keynote speaker, John. And of course, you've got your book, passion struck coming up and then you have your own podcast which is number one in alternative health top uh, in, in our country in canada here 48 of all podcasts so amazing job man it's great to have you here man thank you so much it's such an honor to be here with you and uh, to get to serve your audience well we're gonna have some fun together for sure why don't i'd, I'd love to start with a, a bit of your background i know you came from corporate exec role you've got a background in the navy as well but maybe share a bit of your story what led you into now what you're teaching today. So I had led what many people would have thought to have been an extremely successful career. I had set out my goals that I wanted to be a C-level in a Fortune 50 company. I had achieved that by the time I was 39. Hmm. Um, I had then pivoted into private equity and was a private equity partner and, and an operating partner taking on CEO roles in various companies. But I think like many people, um, in the back of my mind, I had been hearing this inner voice for quite a long time 
that the path that I was on was not the ultimate path that was going to bring me enduring happiness, contentment, and leaving the legacy that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think like many of us, I started hearing this voice years and years before I acted upon it. And it becomes a difficult thing to do because your life gets on this trajectory. And in my case, I was married, I had kids, you, you get used to the standard of life you have. And when you hear this vision for what you were supposed to do, it's a bit scary because mm. mine really had nothing to do with the trajectory that I had been on. And it was a complete 180 degree departure. And so what ended up happening to me is I think the universe starts or, or God or however you want to look at it starts tapping you harder and harder. And for me, it, it became, it started as a gentle whisper, then became a tap on the shoulder then it became uh, a tackle, and ultimately it was like getting beaten over the head to get me to act. And um, can, can you give me give us even a, a reference of that? As you say, that starts as kind of a gentle tap and expanded to that. How do you mean? Yeah. So for me, the it starting as a gentle tap was it originally coming into my subconscious in the form of thoughts and other things that I was having. But mm -hmm. what ended up happening was I started having some profound life events. And it started out with, um, I took the job at Dell. I moved to Austin. It was not a, a job move that uh, my family really wanted because they were really happy in Charlotte. And I remember being in the corporate uh, apartment and one of the first trips I go away, I come back and the whole apartment is flooded. Hmm. I get that cleaned up. It ruins all my shoes, most of my clothes. I'm in this new corporate apartment about three weeks later, and I'm on the top floor taking a shower. And all of a sudden, um, as I'm washing my hair, I feel the stinging um, of bites or something on me. And I look up, and there are scorpions just falling from the light above me. And I've got like four or five on me. Wow. And if that wasn't bad enough, then my kids come uh, a few weeks later, and all of a sudden we have a bed bug inf infiltration throughout the house. And and that was just the start that we end up buying a house. And after we get the inspection done, move in, we want to do this small remodel. And when they do the remodel, it turns out that we have termite infestation throughout the entire house that had been known about, had been fixed, but no one had come forward with it. Then we had raccoons to get a lot. I mean, I could go on. It's it sounds like, like it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just like, I was not supposed to take this job. I yeah. was not supposed to move. I was supposed to be doing something different. And I think what ends up happening is I didn't listen to it. And so, mm the ramifications of, of not acting upon it became harsher and harsher. I ended up getting divorced and then um, it all kind of culminated in a, in a final week with on a Tuesday, I went to the gym like I normally do. And unbeknownst to me, someone had been following my patterns and had used that window to do an in-home robbery of my house. Hmm. And there happened to be an electrical fire at the gym so I went home early, much earlier than I typically would have, 
because I was going to change and do something else, go for a bike ride. And I walk in and I'm face to face with an intruder in my house pointing my own gun at me. And then five days later, I'm set to do a big uh, keynote speech. And just before the event, my phone is just blowing up. And um, I, uh, I knew something was wrong, so I answered the call. And it turns out my best friend decided to take his own life. So wow. coming out of that and just I just went into a, just a deep period of self-analysis. And I looked at all these things that had been transpiring and I mean, it just hit me over the head that um, it was time to do something different. And and I had spent so many years making other people's dreams come true. Mm-hmm. I wasn't focused on my own and really helping other people make their dreams through my actions come true. And so that's what led me to do what I'm doing now. That's a powerful story. Thanks for sharing. Wow. It, uh, it's amazing to think all those consecutive events leading up to I guess that decision that, all right, it's time to make a shift, time to, to follow this new path. What if, if someone, they're at a point in their life where maybe they're starting to get that voice, as you call it, or a little bit of those nudges, uh, I don't know, beyond the obvious of maybe do it, but, but what advice would you give to someone right now is, I mean, you went through that yourself and ignored it for a while and how might you coach someone to do it differently? Yeah, I think what I did And what I wish I would have done differently, what I coach people on now, is when I was thinking of this leap, I was thinking that it had to be this big, huge tidal wave of action going from point A to point B. Hmm. And I think, in retrospect, if I would have just started to take some smaller actions that were aligned with this eventual path, it would have led me there in a much more graceful manner. And I think that's a mistake so many of us make is we tend to think that when we do a life pivot or, or a reinvention, mm-hmm. that it has to be a drastic thing. And oftentimes mm-hmm. it becomes a drastic thing because we've ignored it for so long that when it hits us, whether it's a, a drug or alcohol addiction or porn addiction, work addiction, burnout, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, mm-hmm. by the time it's hit you, you've spent so much time accumulating that debt, let's just call it, mm-hmm. that then to break free from it, it's going to take a tremendous amount of inertia or energy to break yourself free from it. But if mm-hmm. you hear that voice and you can start act upon it, investigating it earlier, it's so much easier a path to the end goal than what I took. Yeah, that's amazing advice. I love that idea of those little steps that you can begin because I think so often we, we do that where we think, well, if I can't do this fully, then I can't do it. And I noticed in my own life where I was almost uh, in, in a state of, as I changed businesses and began to start a new one, almost like, I don't know if I'd call it apathy, but to the point of where I was feeling very stuck, although I wasn't stuck at all. It's just I wasn't taking those little actions at the time. So I absolutely uh, agree with what you're, you're saying. That's really good. <laughs> um, well, Go ahead. You know, when I was writing the book initially, um, apathy was a huge component of the angle that I was writing it for is, is because mm-hmm. I think so many of us feel indifferent or listless, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But I went through that period myself where I ultimately just reached a point of feeling completely numb. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the worst states of being I've ever 
experienced and something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Hmm. Because you feel like nothing at all matters when that mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the note of that, I know we're going to talk about the book, of course. I uh, Before we jump into the subject, actually, passion struck. I know it's the podcast, of course, and the book. But what does that line mean to you? Passion struck. What does that, the meaning behind that for you? To me, it's it's living your life with a, with un, with just tremendous self worth and authenticity. It's mm. knowing who you are, having the self confidence that you know the aspirations that you want to achieve, but that you've got the self confidence and wisdom to go after them and be able to take those risks, knowing that there might be potential setbacks along the way, but going for it nevertheless and Hmm. being in constant pursuit of trying to be your self-realized self. I love it. I love it. Our our show is the pursuit. And so we're big, big on that. So I love it so much. Um, You talked about how you got to this place of where you're feeling like nothing mattered. And I know that as we were talking earlier, something very important to you is the message of mattering. So do you mind jumping into that, expanding on that idea for us? Yeah, I'd like to talk about a 2018 study that came out from Cornell University where they examined thousands of individuals who were nearing the end of their life, and they asked all of them to name their biggest regret. Mm -hmm. And the remarkable thing is that 76% of them came back with the same answer, and that is that they did not live a life of significance. They didn't live up to the aspirations that they had had for themselves. Mm. And it reminds me of how so many of us are in this quiet desperation of the life that we're living. And yet we, we allow ourselves to sit in it instead of breaking free from it. And to me, it's causing this epidemic where so many people wake up, get out of bed, and they start their day feeling that nothing that they do has major significance on impacting the outcome in their life. Mm. And I think that is, in essence, what is leading to so many people feeling that they, you know, that they feel helpless or they feel stuck mm. or they feel apathetic or they're lonely or it's leading to this huge rise in mental health disorders that we've seen and so many other things. Because I think what ends up happening is when you don't feel that significance, you stop doing the self-care things that are needed to bring alignment to everything in your life. Mm-hmm. And when all that starts unraveling, it leads to the circumstance that so many of us find ourselves in 60 60 to 70% where we're living the last 30 to 40% of our lives in an altered health span that is not living our best life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we begin to incorporate more of a sense of significance into our day-to-day life? They may not have a drastic change. It might not be all of a sudden I'm going from here to over there. So how do, how do we actually begin to do that? Yeah, this actually starts going into some of the core components of the book. And mm-hmm. um, 
and I'll just show, I've got a behind me, but here's a, a, an advanced reader copy of it. Um, but what I talk about in the book is that there's this fusion of three core elements, which is passion and perseverance, what Angela Duckworth calls grit mm -hmm. and intentionality. Mm -hmm. And to me, the most important element out of the three or the biggest mi missing piece is intentionality. And when I started studying the work that Angela was doing, I was in the lucky position that she studied a lot about the cadets at West Point. I happened to go to the Naval Academy, which is a very similar organization. And as I started to read about their findings, uh, which have been updated, they found that cadets succeeded or failed based on their physical abilities and passion and perseverance. Hmm. And I examined that, and although those things are true, I mean, you definitely needed to have strong physical abilities to get through the physical elements of the training. You needed to have a passion to be there and to want to serve your country. Mm -hmm. You needed to be able to persevere against all the tests and trials that were being thrown our way. Ultimately, you still had the choice of how you were living your days. And I think it's that choice, that intentional choice, that to me was the thing that made people ultimately successful and graduate or led them to their demise. And mm. the way I, I liken this is in every single day, we're faced with thousands and thousands of choices. I think we, mm -hmm. you know, we make 60,000 a day. And most of us fall in a pattern of making easy choices. And the easy choices are the things that typically don't align to our core values. They don't align to the aspirations that we have. They're the easy decisions that we make, such as instead of going home and learning a new language or learning how to play guitar or reading a book, we'd rather go meet up with our friends and have a drink or watch TV or do something. And, and we lean more and more into these easy choices, whereas the harder choices are making that decision for self-growth. It's making the decision that maybe you're not going to drink because you want to make yourself stronger and ground yourself into a, a, a bigger core value. And to me, those hard choices is what it means to be intentional. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. I think, it's so interesting how, you know, you talk about self-care earlier and then this idea of these harder choices. And uh, as I was at the gym this morning, there was that voice in my head that even when I got there that said, you know, I don't want to work out, which I knew I did. <laughs> but uh, I think it shows up and it's so funny how all these little things that we can love to do, whether it be working out instead of sleeping in, uh, I find, you know, in terms of meditation, how easy it is for the mind to have a story of why not to create the time for that. Or like you say, you know, learning guitar, learning a new language, et cetera. Yet I think the best test for us, I don't know your thoughts on this, but the best test for us to know how much this stuff does matter is how we feel when we're done these things. When we've, you know, made that choice of doing this, that moves our life towards an ideal although require maybe some discipline up front and then the feeling we get after of that sometimes joy, sometimes self pride. What are your thoughts around that? 
Yeah, I think it definitely is that reward system that when we make those choices that are aligned with our goals and aspirations, mm-hmm. it it bolsters us to do more of them. And mm-hmm. I love Robin Sharma and I, you know, another Canadian. Yeah. And I think it's what he talks about, the tsunami of greatness. It's these things compound over time. Mm-hmm. And when you do things that are aligned to where you want to go, you get the gratification from them. You get that boost and it becomes a momentum builder, fueling your intrinsic motivation to continue down the path. Mm-hmm. I think even if you would have done that workout and maybe you, I mean, the fact that you went, even though you felt like you didn't, is a mm. huge step in the right direction. Sometimes mm. I feel the same way. And to, to me, it's oftentimes I want to take the easier workout instead of doing the CrossFit, mm. which I know is going to be painful. It's going to be more excruciating. Mm. I, I think there's different elements, but the more you continue to push yourself, no matter what activity, I think it moves you forward on that mm. ultimate goal stream of where you want to go in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your book, you've got 12 principles, mindset and behavior shifts is what we talk about. And uh, obviously, we're not going to go through all of them, but the ones I, I'd at least love to dump, uh, jump in, pardon me, to there's two of them that I'd love to talk about. And the one I want to start with that I'm excited to hear about is the mission angler. Can you describe that to us? Yeah. Um, and let me just set this up for the, the listener. So in the mm-hmm. book, I have three components of the book. Um, the first section is on mindset shifts. The second section is on behavior shifts. And the third section is on something that I call the psychology of progress. And it's really the philosophy of taking deliberate action because action leads to action. But if I break this down, uh, the mission angler falls in the mindset shift section. It's the first principle. And when you think of mindset shifts, the, the reason that I started here is because our mindset profoundly influences and molds our beliefs and values, and it clarifies our why and influences how we approach challenges and opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so this mission angler chapter, I like to use metaphors and I love to fish. I live down here in uh, off the west coast of Florida where we get to do it a lot. But when you go out there and you're planning your day of fishing, you're not just going out there aimlessly in the boat and just hoping you're going to drop the line and catch something. Mm. Typically you're using a fish finder or you're researching the patterns of given that time of year, what fish are going to be available and where are they typically. Yet, for most of us, we don't craft our lives like that. And that that's what this chapter is all about, is being a life crafter. Mm. And so what this is all about is aiming for this future self that you aspire to be in the future. But it's really through the lens of finding that uniqueness that only you were put on Earth to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And it's typically found in what amounts to a problem that you were meant to to be the salvation for that only you have the unique capabilities to do. And so this chapter really goes into the, the means of finding your purpose and why this life crafting journey is so important. But I illustrate two people in this chapter who've done it extremely well. 
mm-hmm. one uh, Gary V and the other being Jim McKelvey, the founder of Square, mm. um, as as two great examples um, who have perfected this and shown how it works in their own life. I think that that <clears throat> that one chapter alone it would be worth uh, the book's weight in gold for sure, just to be able to walk through that process alone. So I'm excited for people to get that for sure. Um, the other one I want to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Um, there, uh, yeah, I, I know your your audience is a lot of entrepreneurs. And yeah. If you guys aren't familiar with Jim McKelvey, um, he is kind of he was the mentor for Jack Dorsey for Jack Dorsey's formative years, and then they both formed Square together. But Jim is one of the most called upon advisors to entrepreneurs, and in the times I've got to spend with him, I asked him. Now, what is the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make? And his answer was that they end up finding this problem that they were meant to solve. Mm-hmm. But then what ends up happening is they're not intentional in their pursuit of it. And so mm-hmm. they let distractions from going out and finding money, from seeing the newest thing in the market and trying to chase it. And these steps take them further and further away from the main thing that they initially focused on and it's that distraction from the main thing and being really focused on it that he finds is the demise of so many great companies that could have been billionaire billion dollar ideas and end up going by the wayside because they lose that focus so i think Mm -hmm. that's just an important point is once you find that mission is you've really got to double down on it i think that's so good and I think for many is, and I, the book will help, of course, is figuring out what, you know, for some is what is that for me? What is that, that problem that I'm meant to solve that my unique gifts are, are shaped for that I can do in a way that nobody else can. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I love leadership. You know, in, in my first business, which we still have, it's a financial service agency and we run a large team of agents doing it. And uh, so leadership, of course, is something that in order to build any company, you need it. And this principle of the gardener leader, I know a little bit about it, but I, I can't wait to hear it. You've got extensive background in leadership. So, yeah, let's let's jump into it. What is what does that mean to you? So I grew up, I think, like many people have um, with this mentality of being a servant leader. It was definitely something that we were taught at the Naval Academy. And it was definitely something that I tried to perfect earlier on in my career. But as I look now at where things stand um, with the evolution of robotics, automation, the influx of AI, how much social is coming about, invalidating who, who we are, etc., I decided that I think it's time for a new type of leadership model. And as I was starting to really think about this, this metaphor of a gardener started entering in my mind. And Mm -hmm. when I think of a gardener, you think of someone who is this humble leader who leads with intention and gathers and grows their influence like a gardener nurtures a garden. And it all comes down to the philosophy of being eyes on but hands off. And Mm. I think that that's extremely important because most of the time when you're a servant leader, you tend to be more hands on and 
very involved with guiding your subordinates. And I think that there was a time and a place for that, but I, I think now with more remote workers, more employees now wanting to have more autonomy, I think it's time for a change. And I, you know, I interviewed General McChrystal for this, and I think it's a great representation. So, I mean, let's just take a special forces unit. You know, General McChrystal, if he's at a four-star command, obviously can dictate the overall mission goal, but being 3,500 miles away from what is actually unfolding, there's no way that he can micromanage that team. So he needs to lead in a way that he gives the team enough knowledge that they understand what the mission is, what the goals are that they're supposed to accomplish. But in the same way, he needs to trust that they've been trained appropriately, that they've had the right grounding in understanding how to complete the mission, and that he's going to be hands off in letting them perform the mission using what's happening in, in their situational awareness and then mm. doing it. And that's, mm -hmm. to me, really a, a, a core difference between the Gardner leadership model and the servant leadership model and how it's perfected. Mm -hmm. But that in here I go through that there are five core things that I found. There are more than this, but these were five that jumped out to me. One mm -hmm. is delegating to the right level. The other is effectively hiring for your weaknesses. Uh, a third one, which I think is one of the most important one, is being ambitious. Mm. Um, fourth one is putting the team first at all costs. And the fifth, fifth one is enabling your colleagues or your organi organization through a noble mission. Mm. And so those are really the, the core tenets of the Gardner leader. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. So good. I have one more concept that I'd love for you to share, and then we're going to make sure everyone goes and gets a copy of the book. Um, but the concept that I'm excited for you to share is this idea, like the analogy that you use, uh, but the mosquito auditor. And uh, as, I, as I was reading about it, I loved it. I chuckled in. I know exactly uh, those kind of people. So let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, so the way I wrote this is that these principles can be used out of order, but there actually is an order to them. So it depends on where you're coming into this at. And if you want to understand where you are in the continuum on the passionstruck.com homepage, right in the front banner, we've recently added a, a quiz, it's 20 questions long, mm. and it will and it goes through five different you could you could say plateaus on the journey to becoming passion struck. So it'll tell you which plateau you're in. But I wrote this from the standpoint of someone who's trying to completely build their life up from scratch, how would they do it? Or a person who's recently graduating college, or maybe a person who's shifting in their career direction. Uh, but you can enter it at any point. So we talked about the mission angler. From there, it goes into the principle of being a consistent brand reinventor. And then it goes in this mosquito auditor. So once you've crafted this life vision for where you want to go, that next step was you then have to reinvent yourself into the person that's going to be able to accomplish it. And then once you're on that path, one of the first things that you encounter even before you start encountering fear is the naysayers in your life 
who come about and tell you all the reasons why you're going to be un unsuccessful achieving it. And so as I was thinking about the best way to convey this message in a way that people would remember it, uh, I happened to be on a walk. I was doing my typical mindful practice. And I, I started to think about, you know, there are these invisible influences that we don't recognize that are all around us. And I happened to then turn on uh, a radio station and the announcer was talking about what is the most dangerous animal on the planet? And he was asking the audience to call in and give their answers. And like many people, I thought it was going to be, you know, one of the a great white shark or something like that, or maybe the jellyfish that they have in Australia or a poisonous snake. And it turns out that it's actually the mosquito and the mosquito kills more people in a year than all the sharks combined will in a hundred years. It's wow. between a million and two million people a year die from ailments from mosquitoes. And it got me really thinking about human mosquitoes are really like the mosquitoes that we find in nature. They're these invisible influences that end up shaping our behavior. And oftentimes, like a mosquito, they're a nuance that we hear buzzing around our peripheral, but we don't usually take notice of them until they start impacting our lives and like a mosquito those impacts you know although you might feel the bite it's really the ailment comes after the bite and is a progression and mm. so i started to think about what are some of the human mosquitoes that infiltrate our lives and i initially came up with a list of like five or six but i boiled it down to three um, the first i call the blood sucker and if anyone out there has read Terry Cole's books, this is really the boundary destroyer that she talks about. It's that manipulative person who wants what they want from you and is going to go after it, even if that means the last drop of blood that you have. I'm sure mm -hmm. we've all felt the impact of that type of person. The second type of human mosquito is the invisible suffocator. And these are those pessimists in your life, the glass half empty people who cling to the status quo and any time that you bring up an aspiration or a maneuver that you want to do in your life to better it, they're coming with all the negatives that they see that you're going to have to confront to get in there. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, there's the PETA or the pain in the ass. And these are people <laughs> who just, I find, are two-faced and put hurdle after hurdle in your way for you to have to jump over to get to where you want want to go and yeah. what I think is important is is that is that you need to perform a mosquito audit and maybe this the most simple way to think about this is to consider your zone of influence similar to you would an archer looking at the target and just start putting people into you know the bullseye the round around the the next circle around it the next circle like that until you build it out three or four layers deep and then start going through that analysis and using these three mosquitoes and how many people in those, especially first two layers, right. are acting like mosquitoes. Right. Because oftentimes we don't recognize it until we do the audit. But then mm -hmm. once you do recognize it, it gives you the opportunity to recognize who they are and then make a decision on what you're going to do about it. Mm-hmm. It's really good, really good. The awareness of them, 
<clears throat> and then we can figure out our mosquito repellent and figure out what's uh, <laughs> how, do we, how do we shift that. It's awesome. John, I, I've loved our time together today. I'm excited for people to go and get a copy of your book. And for people, I know there's a bunch of bonuses. I saw that too. Do you want to direct people a bit to where they, they can do that? Obviously, they can buy the book anywhere, but I know you got a bunch of bonuses too. Yeah. So part of what I was trying to do with this book is I think there are a lot of self-help books out there. I mean, I've, I've read my fair share Mm-hmm. And I didn't want this to be a book that you just read, and after you're done reading it, it just sits there on your bookshelf. Mm. So I, instead of writing a book that's meant to be read, I, I wrote a book that's meant to be lived. Mm. And I wanted this to be something that you constantly come back to as you're finding yourself on this constant journey of trying to become passion-struck, and you use these concepts to keep taking you on the path you want to go. So... In each chapter of the book, I have QR codes that will lead, in addition to the exercises that I have in the book, to different things like guided meditations, mm. um, ebooks, book book lists, etc. But if you purchase the book and pre-order it, book comes out February 6th. I've custom curated a couple of ebooks and a masterclass on finding your purpose along with you'll get access to the first chapter of the book and access to the launch group, uh, the Facebook group as well, that will all complement the book and your journey. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, I think passionstruck.com, is that correct? For the website? Yes, you can find it at passionstruck.com and the book is at forward slash passionstruckbook. Perfect. Amazing. John, thank you so much for your time. I love what you're teaching. I love the message you're sharing with the world. And I'm excited for the book to be officially released here. This episode will come out slightly before that. So if you're listening, go pre-order, get that, get a copy, connect with John as well. And uh, again, John, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Yeah, Ben, thank you so much. All right, we'll see you all soon, everybody.